Welcome to the Nashville Vineyard Podcast. For more information, please check us out at www.nashvillevineyard.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you have a great day. very excited you guys are joining us today. There's a lot of great churches in Nashville, and so we don't take it lightly when people give us a chance and check it out, so we're honored to have you here. Uh, My name's Grant. I'm the lead pastor here at Nashville Vineyard. That was my amazing wife for uh, announcements. I'm excited to hear her preach. She should be doing that this fall, if I can twist her arm into it. So um, we're going to get started here. We're in a series uh, called Hard Conversations. And if you don't have one of these, be sure to pick one up on the way out uh, as a devotional guide for you to take home. And there's scriptures and uh, prayer guides and all of that sort of thing. We're just talking through the idea of how to navigate uh, through this climate. Uh, You know, we're in a a pretty hostile political, religious, uh, pretty much everything is hostile right now. And so we want to learn how do we be Jesus uh, to people who believe differently than us, who think differently than us, and how do we engage in a conversation uh, like Jesus would? And so how do we, how do we begin to interact uh, with people uh, as Jesus' people? And so we've been talking through uh, several, several weeks now. We're, we've had several different affirmations uh, that we've gone through that you know, uh, have set us up for different things throughout our talks, and so last week we talked about how the uh, the Holy Spirit can bring unity where we we never thought was possible, and this week we're, we're kind of piggybacking on that. And this week's affirmation uh, it comes to us, and you can find it in the book. It may be up here too uh, on the uh, on the announcements slides there too. But it's um, we find our identity in Christ and not in our belief systems, and it's it's uh, it's based out of this week uh, a scripture in Galatians. Uh, 2.20, and it says that my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much uh, for your goodness. We thank you that uh, this is your church, Jesus, and Holy Spirit, you're in charge. Lord, I just ask that you give us uh, ears to hear and, and hearts to receive what you have for us today and that you just make it easy to preach. In Jesus' name, amen. So today we're, we're discussing what it means to be under the lordship of Jesus, to be a people that uh, are under his rule and his reign as it relates to entering into different conversations. And, and the majority of this series, the majority of the things that we've been talking about is how do we enter into difficult conversations with people outside of our belief systems. And so how do we engage with people that believe, you know, that Jesus is not uh, the only way to get to God? How do we interact with that? And this talk uh, today is more in line of the fact of how do we as Christians actually get along with other Christians who seem to believe differently than we do? And how do we interact with them? And and where do we go uh, from there? If you've been in Nashville, if you've been a part of the church uh, for any amount of time, you'll, you'll absolutely begin to realize that there seems to be a lot of different kinds of churches worshiping the same God and believing in Jesus. And if you drive through the streets of, of Nashville or Franklin or the surrounding towns, you're going to see just a, an absolute plethora of different buildings and denominations and names and all of this sort of thing. And it, it can be confusing and it can be um, just, just an interesting thing to observe. And so you can't help but begin to see that 
that the church appears to be fragmented, that it appears to be very different. And if you spend any amount of time with any group of Christians, especially in, a, in an online forum, you're going to really begin to see that there's drastic differences between people that believe in the same book, in the same Jesus, in the same God that we do. And it can become very difficult to enter into meaningful conversations with these people. You see, we, we really like to believe that we're right. And, and we here like to believe that we're right and that we have the capital T truth. And so does most people. Uh, so do most Westerners. We, we really enjoy feeling like we have the market cornered on truth. And so because of that, we, we find ourselves entrenched in, in a certain belief system, in a certain doctrine and, and theology that we've come to, to re- recognize as the ultimate truth. And one of the affirmations we've talked about uh, in the past week is that while God has all truth, we, we have a dim picture of it sometimes. And so we hold that in attention of saying God has ultimate truth and there is an ultimate truth, but there's room in the scriptures to have a few different views on a few different things that may be secondary. Now we hold to the main things that aren't secondary, that are very clear, that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the only way to meet him. But beyond that, the church appears fragmented, and it's because we hold to our belief systems. We believe in our belief systems a lot more sometimes than we actually believe in the God who authored the alleged belief systems. We, we believe in our salvation through our doctrine more than through Jesus Christ. And so what tends to happen then is that when we're confronted by someone who believes differently than we do, within the same context of the Christian family, then it's almost more difficult to enter into a conversation with them than it is with someone who's completely outside of the faith. Primarily because we've rooted our identity in our belief system and not in Jesus. We've rooted our identity in Christ through our doctrine, not through our Savior. And because of that, when when we approach people who believe differently than us, it seems to step on our toes a bit and we seem to feel rocked. And and what happens is, is that we were very quick to decide who's on our team and who's not on our team. And then if you're not on our team, then you stay over here and we'll come over here. And then before long, you start to look around your team and your team is actually going to be divided as well because there are going to be certain people on your team that you thought were on your team. They're not on your team. You're going to further divide yourself. And then before you know it, you're going to be by yourself because there's, there's no one who believes exactly the way you believe on every little thing. And because we've rooted our identities in our theology, or we've rooted our identities in our doctrine instead of our savior, then when we find those people that believe differently than us, it's, it's an affront to who we've come to be. And like most things, Jesus takes a little bit of a different approach than we do when it comes to this subject. When it comes to the idea of unity within the body, when it comes to the idea of being the diverse people within the body of Christ that's unified, he has a different viewpoint. Before we go any further, I'm going to assuage some fears that may be starting to rise. I'm not saying that denominationalism is wrong. I'm not saying that, that it's, it's wrong to be fragmented and that we're shooting for this ultimate uh, goal of everyone coming together all the time and all that sort of thing. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is, is that we've probably relied too much on the things on the signs out front. We've relied too much 
on the names, on the doctrines, on the things. And theology is good. And good theology is even better. And doctrine is good. Those things are good. And it's good to know those things. And so I'm not asking us to throw our mind and our intellect out the window. But what I am asking us to do is to submit our personal theology and our doctrines to our Savior. And allow him to be the one that controls us. And not our points that we adhere to. And so we we look at Jesus and and we look at what he has to say because typically he's a lot more right than we are, which is good. That is a good thing. And so if we look at Mark chapter 9 and we can turn there, we we have this really interesting picture of the disciples and they're on their way uh, to another town and they're walking behind Jesus and and the the rabbi is up in front and, and the disciples are walking and they're arguing amongst themselves. And Jesus allows them to argue. Like, he, he doesn't stop them. He, he allows them to go. And then it's not until they get into the town and they're all hanging out together. He says, hey, what, what are you guys talking about? And that's where we pick up here in verse 33. Chapter 9, verse 33. It says that they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. And sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. So here's a plug for our children's ministry. right? If you're in our children's ministry working with our children, you are welcoming Jesus. So do that. Um, but we have, this, we have this incredible picture of these disciples who, I mean, are more like the three stooges at this point than, than like the disciples that maybe we think. They're arguing about who's the greatest among them. It's, it's, it's just amazing. And it's so amazing that God allowed us to see this picture of the early fathers of the church that obviously they were human and sometimes could be stupid as we can be. And so we have this picture, they're arguing, and Jesus allows them to continue to argue, and and then he he says, you know, that's not how this works. And he tells us that humility is actually the ticket to greatness, not force, not position. And so he teaches us there that, that in order to be first, and it's not, he doesn't rebuke them for wanting to be first, but he says in order to be first, you have to put yourself last. You have to be humble. And so then we have this progression uh, from, from this verse right to the next one. And sometimes in our Bibles, they'll have a different heading. And, and so we move from, from Jesus talking about the first being last. And John comes in. It's almost like John is deflecting from the current situation, from the current rebuke. It's just embarrassing. And so he, he deflects a little bit. And we pick up again in, in verse 38. Teacher, says John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. So he was trying to validate, we got this. I know we seem immature before, but we got this. And then Jesus comes in and probably surprises him. He says, don't stop him. For no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. Truly I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose their reward. So here we have a case where the disciples encounter someone that they don't know, they're unfamiliar with, that hasn't been in their club, and they're doing, they're invoking the name of Jesus, and they're trying to step in and say, you don't have the right to do that because you haven't been on our team. And Jesus says that that's not how this works, that if, if they're not 
actively against us than they're for us. And anyone that's invoking my name and doing the things that I'm teaching is actually for us. And Jesus seems to think that it isn't necessarily the name on the plaque that keeps us together, that it's his name. So it's not the name of the denomination, it's not the name of the group, it's not the name of our our theological heroes that keep us together, it's the name of Jesus. And when we invoke the name of Jesus, if they invoke the name of Jesus, then it seems like that they're more for us than they are against us. It's a pretty radical way to think because we are an incredibly fragmented church. We, we, are, we are scattered and we are divided. And while some of that is normal and some of that we find our tribes and we find the people that we click with and we find the people that we feel like the Lord are calling us to, uh, it, it isn't necessarily always ideal. And when Jesus established the church, he established the church. And he established the church of God. And so his, his idea of us being a body is not just a micro idea that we find in here, like we've talked about. And we do. We find a small micro picture of the body here. But it's also a broader picture, a macro look at what the body could look like outside these walls. And so we find ourselves confronted by Jesus here with an idea that seems to affront things that we love. What could happen if Christians actually decided that, you know what, in Jesus, when, G- when you're in Jesus Christ and Christ is in you, then you have far more in common than anything that you can ever ha- find that will divide you. Because when you're in Christ, he's the head. And when you're in him, there's far more in common. Like galaxies in common. Like eons in common than whatever differences we find in our theological viewpoints. What would happen if we began to understand that and actually believe more in Jesus than in our belief systems? What if we trusted people half as much as Jesus trusted them? We see Jesus over and over again prematurely to our viewpoint, sending out people, trusting them to do the works, trusting them to carry his word. And we we seem to to not trust people quite as much. What would happen? Well, there's an interesting article that I, I came on uh, in pre- preparation for this Sunday. And, and so when we're talking about what could the world be like today, like not in the future, but today, I just think it gives a, a pretty, good, pretty good point. It says that it's important to put the American church in perspective. Simply stated, it is the wealthiest community of Christians in the history of Christendom. How wealthy? The total income of American churches is $5.2 trillion. That's more than $5,000 billion. Don't, this isn't a money sermon, so you're cool. Don't worry about that. It would take just a little over 1% of the income of American Christians to lift the poorest 1 billion people in the world out of extreme poverty. Said in another way, American Christians who make up just 5% of the church worldwide control about half of the global Christian wealth. What would happen if the American church, if we just, in our city, if we could be unified to a degree that we could say, you know what, let's put the tertiary things aside. Let's put the things that, that, that we may differ on aside. And let's go at this thing. 
Let's begin to really work and really dig in to see the kingdom of God come on earth as it is in heaven. What would happen? Apparently, we could actually end extreme poverty in the world. Just American Christians just banding together, just giving 1%. That's staggering. I mean, that, that's an unbelievably staggering statistic. But we're too focused on what divides us than what brings us together. We're too focused on the things that, that tear us apart as opposed to the lordship of Jesus and his mandate that we would go and establish the kingdom. In preparing for this, I got extremely convicted because it, it's easy to feel like you're on high and have the truth. And it's easy to look down on people that you feel like don't quite get it all the way. But the reality is, is that's a sin. And what he's calling us into, he's calling us into a place of unity. We, uh, this past Saturday, yesterday, we had the opportunity to feed over 190 hungry people in Nashville, our church. And the reason we had that opportunity is because we decided that we were going to join with another church across town who honestly believes very differently than we do. There are points in their theology that I very much disagree with. There are practices that they do that I I even think are damaging. But we decided to put those things aside and come together and try to attack this hunger problem. And so every month... Not just our church, but other churches from around the city that that aren't in that church's stream, that aren't in that church's denomination, come together because the church's gathering are are small and they're understaffed and they're, they're underutilized. But we've understood that actually together we could pull this off. We could feed people twice a week, every week. And because other churches have agreed to that, Because other churches lay aside their doctrinal points and understand that the doctrine is for the people, is for the hungry, then literally thousands of people a month get a meal because of that one act. I mean, what what could happen? It's staggering. I mean, I was pulling in today, and there's this church, and then there's that church across the street, and then right across the street over there is another church that's just starting, and then right down that church is actually two churches that meet both times during the day. And then I walked around this neighborhood earlier this week, and there is just extreme poverty and need. And what would happen if just like the six of us could put aside the differences even racial differences, even ethnic differences, because there's different ethnicities that meet at different places. What if we could put those aside and say, let's try to bring the kingdom here? I think we would see incredible things. I think you'd see thousands of people getting fed. I think it's what he's calling us into. I meet uh, once a month, and I realized this past week that it's been four years I've been meeting with pastors and we just get together, and, and I believe things that they really find hard to swallow. And, and most of the time, they think I border on a heretic. And I enjoy that. 
But we've, we meet together and we pray together and they love me and I love them because we're in this together and we put those things aside. And we're not even able to joke about it. And we, we lay those to the side and they encourage me and I encourage them and they've, they've given us resources and we've helped them and given them resources and we've teamed together in prayer. Because each of us decided that this thing is bigger than us. It's bigger than our denomination. It's bigger than our stream. It's, it's bigger than anything we can do. We truly are better together. And over and over again, you get these glimpses, these pictures of what can happen if the church decided to work together. It's interesting. Jesus also had thoughts on this as well. And he has a prayer that he prayed, and we get a glimpse of that prayer in John. Chapter 17, verse 20. He says that my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So that's for us. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them glory, the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. Jesus' prayer here. The prayer of Jesus is that we, out in all, are one. That's his prayer. I'd like to come into agreement with Jesus' prayer. I would like to begin to pray Jesus' prayer. What would happen if the church begins to pray Jesus' prayer? It's interesting. He says something in verse 22 that I think is just, it's astounding. He has actually given us his glory so that we can be one. In other words, there's glory set aside for us that happens when we come together. When we actually band together and we unite with one another, there's a glory that comes down that he's given us, that he's allotted for us. It's not just his glory, it's actually glory from the Father. And we get to partake in that when we strive for unity. In other words, as we pray the prayer of Jesus, we can actually be the answer to Jesus' prayer, which is a pretty high honor. That's pretty cool. He answers a lot of my prayers. It'd be neat if I could answer one of his. And we can step into a point of actually experiencing the tangible glory of God when we strive for unity. All over, we're always crying out and seeking and wanting more glory. God, would you send your glory? Would your presence come? Could we experience your glory? And here he's saying that I have laid aside my glory for the very point of you coming into unity, that you become one as we are one. There's glory waiting there. Glory is an interesting subject. John Piper, as we're talking about unity, I'm quoting Piper. John Piper describes glory. And it's, it's an incredible definition. He says it this way, the glory of God is the physical manifestation of the holiness of God. In other words, God's holiness, which is another way to say his otherness, his uniqueness, the thing that makes him God, is manifested in his glory. And so we actually get to put on the thing that is God-like because he's reserved it for us, it looks like, his holiness looks like the church coming together. That's what God looks like. 
That's the reflection of this triune God who's in this relationship with Jesus and God the Father and the Holy Spirit. And for eternity, they've been in this unbelievable, self-depreciating, glorifying dance with one another, constantly eschewing themselves and putting the other one first for eternity. And that's how he made us. And so when we enter into that with one another, we actually get to manifest that glory. That's incredible. The psalmist uh, says this in 72, Psalm 72. He, he writes this unbelievable description of this utopian event where everyone comes together and, and there's peace in the land and joy reigns and, and the kingdom has come and everyone is under the lordship of Jesus and they've come and they've submitted and he, he winds this whole thing up and he explains it away by saying it's because the whole earth is now full of God's glory. We have a chance to see the whole earth filled with the glory of God when we partner together, when we lay down the things that we seem to think are important and we pick up what the Lord has for us, when we pick up the idea that it's Jesus we're submitted to. We have a chance to enter in to the glory of God. It's amazing. And the only way that we're actually going to make a difference in our community, a difference in our neighborhood, which we are absolutely working towards, is if we lay down things and differences and other things like that, and we come together with others in the body of Christ, and we say, you know what, this thing is bigger than any of us. Let's go for it. And so as we continue to step out, we're going to be looking for opportunities. As you continue to step out, You're going to be looking for opportunities. And we have to avoid our propensity to divide. And we have to come together in our offices, in our schools, and recognize the fact that you may be Presbyterian, and they may be Catholic, and we may be Vineyard, but we're all Christian. And when we're here, we're able to reflect the manifested glory of God in this office. And when the glory of God comes to your office, things begin to change. When the glory of God is manifested in the schools, things begin to change. And that happens as a result of unity. So we're going to take an opportunity, because I had to do this, and I have to do this a lot. And I think we probably all should take some time and just enter into just a posture of repentance, to say that, that I'm sorry that I believe that I've had the corner on the market for truth. I'm sorry that I've looked down on people who hold a different theological background than me. I'm sorry that I've elevated myself as the enlightened one because someone else believes differently than me. Real change has to start with repentance. And as a church, corporately, we have to repent. We have to repent of of all of our struggles with that, and we have to allow the Lord to change us, to form us. Because when we look like him, we look like a unified body. And that's what God will look like here. And we can still stay in our tribes, and we can still stay uh, in our people, but we can understand that this thing is bigger than us. And so we're going to take some time. We're going to worship a little bit. 
We're going to allow a time for repentance. And then we're going to have a couple people up here for prayer. And if you need prayer, then we encourage you to come. Specifically, we felt like there are, there's, there's someone in here maybe who's having a pain in their jaw that's actually causing a, a more pain in their head and in their neck. We feel like the Lord wants to heal that uh, specifically today. I also feel like there's, uh, there's potentially some people that need, just, they need the reassurance that God loves them and that whatever they think that they've done that's separated them from him, that it's been covered by Jesus' blood and they can feel the love of the Father today. And then if you haven't experienced this opportunity of being able to, to find God as your Father, as a God who loves you because you haven't put your faith in Jesus, you haven't submitted your life, you haven't opened yourself up to him, man, we'd love to pray with you about that and walk with you on this journey as you begin to turn towards him. So we're going to take some time and we're going to allow for some space to pray. So Holy Spirit, we invite you. We ask that you come. We ask that you fill us. We repent as a church for any sort of elitism that we may have felt, for anything that we have done against another brother or sister, Lord, we're sorry. Would you forgive us of that? Would you help us to see that we really are better together? Would you help us find our identity in you and not in our belief systems, not in our theology or our doctrine, but in you? For all upcoming events or more information about the Nashville Vineyard Church, please check us out at www.nashvillevineyard.org. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you have a great day.